bring her in. Yeah, we got one. And we got a thumbs up from Chet as well. With no milkshake today, though. No milkshake from Chet today. <laughs> yeah, I'm missing my milkshake, too. <laughs> I When we were talking about that before the show, I'm like, I want to go get one, too. At least get a photo of it uh, with a milkshake. It's been a while. Now, let me just go change the screen up here. I'm going to do this. All right. So, guys, is this divine intervention or what? But Chet was available. Catherine reached out to me three minutes later, and Catherine will confirm. She's like, she just put her phone down, and it's buzzing right back, saying, yeah, let's do this tonight. Um, and here she is. Here she is. So if you don't mind, Catherine, pretty much everybody knows Chet at this point. But let's go ahead and have you introduce yourself. And uh, we'll kind of get started uh, into what, what got you involved with the CAF before and if you've been around for a while and and we'll go ahead and get right into this first lawsuit yeah so i was a registered nurse uh for over two decades and uh, ended up with an injury that meant my nursing career was over so i uh had a little discussion over two years with wcb and one uh that my case against them to say go to law school become a lawyer uh so oh, well, my so first half of your life I did. So I can tell you somebody wins against WCB once in a while. I was my own first client. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I went to law school thinking I would be doing med med medical negligence because that was kind of what I knew. Uh, and then I ended up taking military law as uh, one of my classes with a retired JAG and an active duty JAG and really realized that this was a unique population in Canada. They have unique issues. They have two sets of laws that apply to them. They have the regular laws everyone has that applies to them. And they also have military laws that apply mm -hmm. to them. And so I thought, well, you know what? They need somebody who will represent them and uh, be aware of all these things. And I was told I was crazy. I was told there would be no business, that there was nothing different about members of the Canadian Armed Forces or veterans. I chose to not believe any of that and hung my own shingle mm. as soon as I was called to the bar. And as my office was being set up, I already had 10 clients. So, wow. <laughs> and from there, I haven't. <laughs> and fresh out of law I, school, too. That's right. I haven't advertised in years. It's all word of mouth. Uh, so, uh, I have that reputation. I'm one of the only lawyers in Canada that does what I do. And this is why in October of 2021, when the chief of defense staff issued mandatory vaccination a directive uh for the people of the armed forces i had hundreds come to me and say what what are our legal rights what can we do here uh, all of this sort of thing and at first i was prepared to tell them that there was no way we could do anything about a COVID 19 lawsuit in canada especially at that time but then i started getting the stories and the story mm -hmm. stories were one worst story after another. And I'd been watching the CAF for a few years uh, for abuses of their own people. I was well aware of the problem, but when you, I would get one or two people, they'd have valid cases, but one or two people can be written off as bad apples or disgruntled vets, and people don't have $500,000 to sue the Crown. So I had already reached out to Robert Barnes in, this, in the U.S., oh, and wow. I was yeah. paying attention. Barnes from Viva yeah. Barnes, right? Yeah, and I was paying attention as to how he was able to represent all these people that I knew couldn't afford his hourly rate. And it was, he had set up a nonprofit uh, that brings the cases and then any proceeds from the nonprofit 
fund more cases. So I'd already set that up in March of 21. And it was sort of sitting there, talk about Providence here. Uh, so it was mm -hmm. ready to go to bring this bigger lawsuit through a nonprofit. So I don't charge the nonprofit legal fees for my work. Um, I am doing this because I was horribly, horribly offended by what happened to Canada in the last three years. And oh, wow. uh, very, very touched by the stories of lives ruined uh, by the chief of defense staff. And I thought, okay, they've just handed, the, the Canadian Armed Forces just handed me hundreds of cases that can prove what we're saying. And uh, so away we went. <laughs> and I had over uh, 330 people are in Op Valor 1.0. Uh, Sorry, you didn't catch it. You said 130 people? Uh, I've had over 500 inquiries for other 330 put their names oh, on the line for the first one. And the second one, uh, I've had over 500 inquiries for that one. Uh, and it's it's not a COVID-19 lawsuit, actually. It's an abuse of power lawsuit. It's in October 21, the Chief of Defense Staff issued a, a directive. And then there were all these abuses by the chain of command that followed right after it. So it gives me a really nice concrete date. I'm not pulling, well, somebody did something bad in 1999 and somebody did something mm -hmm. bad in 2003. In this case, I've got a definite date and then I've got all of the terrible things they did to their own troops from that point forward. So that's where we're headed. And we filed the first one in June of this year. And the second one will be filing here in the next few weeks. Wow. Okay. So I just want to catch up now. So the first lawsuit mm -hmm. that you're working on is, is a COVID uh, injury lawsuit, right? Nope. Nope. It's nope. Uh, related okay. to the abuse of power. There is a COVID no. injury lawsuit coming. That's coming. <laughs> okay, so um, I have it backwards. But, so, so the one you're working yeah. on right now is abuse of power. Yes. Yeah. So there's going to be two of those uh, because uh, I was approached by hundreds more people after word got out about the first one that I'd already filed. So, okay. So now I'm following. So there's mm -hmm. two abuse of power lawsuits. One that has mm -hmm. 330 uh, plaintiffs, I guess you call them, or class action yes. members. Yep. Plaintiffs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then another one, because another 500 came forward. Now, you're not tacking mm -hmm. this onto the first one. This is a completely different case with different uh, sets of uh, information and evidence? Correct. Yeah. I mean, some of the evidence will overlap. In uh, the first lawsuit, we have over 200,000 pages of evidence to support the claim. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> we, well, I can see the $500,000 uh, price tag now. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, what happened is, is that we went deep and we went dark um, because I, and I'm not one access to information request came out of my law firm. It was sent in by my 330 plaintiffs. They sent in requests for different information from all over the country. And we managed to grab a lot of really important information before they ever knew what we were up to. Uh, it's only about the beginning of this year where they realized what we were up to and they started to slow down responding to those requests but i was sent documents unredacted that the, the crown is now <laughs> not happy that i got my hands on some of these things unredacted because now they're trying to redact them afterwards which isn't going to fly so i've never heard of a post-redaction process is there such a thing like they just want to not make it admissible they're going to claim some sort of privilege on it is that what they're trying to do with it uh 
that's what they're trying to do. But in May okay. of this year, the, the federal court of appeal uh, made a ruling on it that if it was given to the given to the other side unredacted, you can't go back and redact it afterwards. So they're out of luck. Somebody's already fought that battle for me. I don't have to fight that battle. It's already been been won. So excellent. And if there's any question about um, privilege, if there's client solicitor privilege questions, we just set precedence here in uh, Alberta and Lethbridge with the Coots men situation. So the answer will be it will be privilege will be pierced if if disclosure is uh, accidental or unintentional. It mm-hmm. it will actually pierce. Um, uh, client solicitor privilege as well now so mm-hmm. to all the crowns out there and to everybody out there be careful what you're handing over if you hand over something unredacted then there's really no way to get that back anymore so be careful yeah imp- <laughs> importantly uh a couple of the documents that we got unredacted were briefing notes to the chief of defense staff which said he mm. couldn't do what he did he couldn't do <laughs> what he did was what the notes said yeah. so he said he couldn't do what yeah. he did he was told, so he was well informed that he could not do what he did. He did it anyway. Busted. Hey, we would refer, <laughs> yeah, we'd refer to that as mens rea, wouldn't we? We would. Now, yeah. is there any criminal element here? Or like, like how serious are these uh, abuse of our uh, um, a, power here? There's a potential for it. Um, you know, some of my clients have talked to me about bringing a private prosecution. Uh, we haven't reached that stage yet, but it is a possibility. I mean, because now I can tell you that the vaccinations have killed more members of the Canadian Armed Forces than COVID ever did. Right. Right. We, and that's even the public right? too. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, can you share some I mean, numbers when, with us or is that still part of what you're working on? Uh, we can't, No, it's okay. Um, I know of six deaths confirmed so far. Uh, young men between the ages of 35 and 40 dying in their sleep that were perfectly healthy before. Uh, we've got a couple of people who are um, so ill from confirmed vaccination injury. The, the calf actually admits it's a vaccination injury. They're so ill that their uh, life expectancy is very brief at this point. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, we're busily getting their affidavits done because they want their wives to continue as uh, their rep- representative, representative in the lawsuit. So. Oh, Wow. That's horrible to have to work on. Mm-hmm. What was that, Chad? Yeah. I can expand your list of injured people, too. I'll tell you about some of them mm-hmm. later in this. Yeah. Um, well, the the catch with the injuries for Canadian Armed Forces is that anything in the... Anyone, anyone who's injured during service usually has to make a claim through Veterans Affairs Canada. But what's happened is when people have claimed vaccine injuries from Veterans Affairs right now, they're saying it's not service-related. I disagree. If you've been mandated to do it, it's service-related. So, But they have to go through the process. So they have to file a claim, be denied, and then file an appeal and be denied. And then I can bring it into the civil civil court. Uh, We have someone who's doing an appeal in December. So uh, depending on the outcome of that appeal, we will be moving ahead with the vaccine injury lawsuit in the beginning of 2024. And uh, yeah, that one will be a class action because I want everyone who's injured to be covered. Uh, At at a minimum, I want Veterans Affairs to give them lifetime compensation and benefits for it uh, at a minimum. So 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so this requirement to go through their internal process and then their appeal first, this has got to be under the military law because under yes. administrative law, you can get a stay if if you don't think you're in the right spot. So you have to let them right. finish before you can take it to another court. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, for instance, when we tried to bring an injunction against the directive in December of 21, uh, the court's way of out of allowing us to have an injunction was to say well everyone needs to grieve it the problem with the grievance system in the canadian armed forces is that when it gets to the final authority the final authority is the chief of defense staff the guy who issued this order right and he he has no time limit so there are grievances that have been sitting on the desk for 10 years without resolution and only after he makes his decision can we bring a judicial review of the grievance but it's kind of backfired on them because uh, after that injunction, which I used mainly to get information from what the Crown would bring as a defense more than expecting the injunction. Uh, we, I met with my clients uh, on a big Zoom call and said, grieve everything. I want you to send in as many grievances as possible up the chain. Uh, they did. They responded, nothing like military to respond to orders well. No kidding. <laughs> uh, they, uh, so they started filing. And I actually have it in writing from the grievance uh, people saying they can't handle any more grievances, that they were overloaded. Um, they provided grievance were, about grievances? Yeah, so there was 10,000 grievances filed within about six months. <laughs> um, well, the, they, you know. Yeah, pushed out the best of the best of our of our militaries. They were they're ready and they're smart, capable people. And uh, but also uh, when it gets to the final authority, it has to go to what's called a external review committee. And what's happened is I have at least nine now have come back from the external review committee saying CDS didn't didn't follow the law that he didn't use what he was supposed to use and that he violated their charter rights and it's not saved by section one. Now in the National Defense Act, it says that the chief of defense staff cannot issue an order which violates their charter of rights and freedoms. Right. So in military speak, that's called an unlawful order. Mm-hmm. And an unlawful order is an abuse of power. And all the officers who followed it through the chain of command followed an unlawful order without question. All right. So it, it follows everybody. So everybody. It follows that... everybody. Okay. Now, was there anybody that stood up to it? Because uh, we don't see a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Three and 5,000. Oh, am I back? Three to 5,000 people. Yeah. Three to 5,000 people. Uh, I do have uh, a senior officer who refused to implement the uh, directive and was released on a 5F unsuitable for further military service after a long career um, because he wouldn't follow what he, he called it an unlawful order and refused to follow it. So is there a recourse for him to correct that record? Because the 5F is no good. That's part of the claim that we've asked for. Uh, You can change the release category uh, through a court of law. Okay. So now, the court uh, does have that authority. Good, good. That's good that there's a recourse there. Now, for the six deaths, do you know what they were based on? Were they heart? Were they something else? Do you have any details about that that we can share? Well, since they died in their sleep, uh, we're suspecting they were all heart. I know uh, two of them for sure were heart 
uh, heart attacks in their sleep. Um, one was an infantry soldier who had deadlifted 600 pounds two days before. Um, his wife woke up to him cold in the bed beside her. Uh, another was a military pilot who had been had myocarditis, was cleared to fly, and two weeks later was dead in his bed. Um, keep in mind that only a tiny, like maybe 0.1% got something different than Moderna. Otherwise, they all got Moderna, even though it is, was already banned in several countries around the world for their age group. That's what the Canadian military gave their people was Moderna. Is there information that they knew that it was banned in other countries or it was just, it was a timeline oh, they, that we knew this? They had to have known. And in fact, the Surgeon General in the briefing notes said that they, you cannot mandate vaccines. He tried, okay, well, but it didn't work. That's a, that's a good story. Now, Chet, look, mm -hmm. we're, uh, I'm going to get you to kind of just talk a bit about what could kill somebody who deadlifts 600 pounds two days later. He's dead, vaccine-related. Uh, I know you're going to be speculating. you got very, very little. Yes. But I'm um, just curious if you can kind of give us a bit of a range of what it could have been, uh, given what we know. There's, there's a few things it could be, um, and then this is purely speculation. But um, if they've got myocarditis, they can have damage to, which is, for those who don't know, it's inflammation of the actual heart muscle. So myo is muscle, card, cardio is heart, and itis is inflammation. So it's heart muscle inflammation is what the actual definition is. But uh, what that can do is it can cause damage to the, the myocytes, the, the cells in your heart, um, uh, which can cause uh, damage similar to like if you have a heart attack. Um, that can lead to cardiac arrhythmias. Um, so as uh, I've talked about before, the way your heart works is it's basically like there's an electrical impulse that kind of flows through it. Um, and so it starts from the top of your atria at your sinoatrial node, and then it works its way down through your ventricles. And as it works, your atria contracts, and then your ventricles contract as your atria releases, and then your ventricles release. And that's what pumps your blood to the lower part of your heart. That pumps your blood out to the rest of your body and back to your heart, and it goes back and forth. And so it has to be this... You need it. Uh, you need it to to work in sync because if they're not working together, or um, it's um, you're not getting blood to move the way it's supposed to, and when blood doesn't move the way it's supposed to, uh, you get decreased oxygenation and nutrients to your tissues, and ultimately tissues start dying, and in particular your brain and your heart will die. Um, so, like if something happened that could cause him to go into um an arrhythmia that can means his heart's not in sync anymore um uh he could go into cardiac arrest and pass away in his sleep and what can often happen is at um certain s stages of uh like your sleep cycle like when you when you're kind of like just gonna wake up you, you your body gets like a little bit of a shot of adrenaline um mm -hmm. just to kind of jog you out of your sleep if you will and a lot of times people who have uh, athletes or people who've had myocarditis or something like that um that little shot of adrenaline um is enough to just kind of tip them over the edge um to because your heart's waking up and it go it's going to go fast to kind of 
jostle you awake and then it just kind of gets knocked out of sync because there's some form of injury there now maybe he had uh maybe he pushed himself too hard during uh the deadlift in episodes this is a dude that was uh deadlifting 600 pound um and um that could have caused a little bit of injury and then when he was in that stage of sleep or something or could have been anything but uh it could have that part of his heart where it was injured could have just knocked everything out of sync and there you go um uh one thing after the other and a chain of events can cause um uh, that to occur uh the other thing that may happen is um you can have um uh, spike protein can get in damage like your adrenal gland. It can cause like similar things because it helps. It has to do with like releasing like adrenaline into your system and whatnot. So uh, if you you get all that knocked out of sync, everything everything needs to run smooth. Um, and the moment it doesn't, you have problems. So that would be that would be my best guess. Um, but again, that's pure speculation. Right. Um, but like I. Um, Many of those I know who've passed away from suspected vaccine-related types of injuries, um, it often tends to be in their sleep or just in, their, in the early morning when they're waking up and stuff, or when they've exerted themselves to a point. It's why you see it, uh, why we've seen a lot um, in young athletes is because they're pushing themselves to a level where the heart is reaches that level of strain um where the injury is going to um cause an issue uh think of it like this like let's say you twisted your ankle really bad and but you're okay to walk around the house and it doesn't bother you too much but the moment you try to go down the stairs you're putting more weight on it or you try to run on your if the like run go for a run or something the moment you put enough strain on it you're going to be that injury is going to become much more um probably going to be much more aware of it and profound um and it's just kind of the same thing with some of these um heart injuries because uh, i know um dr p mccullough has talked about uh subclinical myocarditis frequently and what that just means is it's um the injury is there um but it it's not uh presenting with its typical cl clinical presentation, such as chest pain, um, uh, shortness of breath, um, and that type of thing, uh, just because it isn't at that profound stage. It just needs, it needs something just to kind of tip it over the edge. Right. And then it, then it, then it, then it really shows up. Is that, does that help explain it for you? Yeah. It helps a lot. Like it absolutely helps it, a lot. It, we just got a master course. It actually, yeah, it actually ha uh, explains a lot because the hardest hit groups in the Canadian Armed Forces has been our top uh, in-shape people. Pilots, special forces, search and rescue, all of them are some of the hardest hit with injuries um, and career-ending injuries. Uh, I mean, I got one operator with special forces that uh, suffered blood clots and he's now diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder that has completely destroyed his career and his hmm. career is over. I've yeah, got I'm another guy that was given his second dose while he was in the field with special forces and his team had to get him out to an American hospital because of the reaction he had to that second dose of Moderna in the middle of nowhere on a mission. 
which is like it's especially with like like with the Moderna one, it was supposed to be one and done. Um, like, and that was no. Like, they they were in fact they were giving second doses in some cases, especially in the special forces, within four weeks of the first yeah. dose. Four weeks. Not even wrong. following. Yeah, not yeah, even following the guidelines. The guys got yeah. who they they forced him to get it four times because he's on he's on deployment right now. I'm not gonna yep. say who it is, but um, they told him it was basically the same as a flu shot, and they in rapid succession jabbed him four times. Um, mm -hmm. He's fine, thankfully, but uh, yeah. I know many others who are not. Um, we've we've got lots of um, intestinal issues that are uh, like I've got one guy that lost 90 pounds went from a very healthy guy to now being discharged from the military on a medical release because he's in such bad condition. Have I any mean, of them applied? Health. Go ahead, Sorry? into health. Nope, that's go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay, has any of them applied for the vaccine injury program with Government Canada? And if so, have any of them been successful or, or what's going on there? Uh, none that I know of because they're usually obligated to go through Veterans Affairs. For anything related to their health so for forever so even if there's a supplemental program forever. it adds additional oh wow oh wow yeah and then if they're and only if they're denied they can do it <laughs> right yeah they've got to be denied and then the appeal has to be denied and then we can move into the civil civil court with a lawsuit from there someone okay. uh, just made a comment there to correct something it's the j and j one that's one shot the moderna one um, right. is just, um, it's, uh, much more heavily loaded with like MRNA than the Pfizer one. But I do think now that I think of it, I think that they did get those out in the same manner that they did the Pfizer one, but it was a more, um, highly concentrated dose. So, um, just to correct that. Yeah. We want to be well as accurate as we can, but to be really accurate, all of them are one and done. As soon as you get one of them, you're done. Uh, but not in the way that they meant it. They meant one and done <laughs> on the dose, but it turns out anybody that got even a single dose, uh, could be a lot of harm. Now you had six deaths and you have some injuries, including bowel and other things. What is the most common one that you're hearing uh, about? Like what are some of the most common uh, injuries? It's myocarditis. Oh, wow. you, you didn't even have to think about that. You were ready. That was myocarditis. I was ready. Yep. Mm -hmm. And blood okay. clots. Um, uh, I've got I've got guys who've had open heart surgery that were healthy and multiple deployments beforehand. Now they're they're done. They're like old men now with their heart issues and not able to do things that they didn't even have to think twice about. And if you think about it, uh, you could have all these people that have the subclinical myocarditis and what's the number one thing you can give to an entire military uh, that would be harmful if you really wanted to do ha harm to a foreign military give them something that is spiked by adrenaline because the moment you put a rifle in someone's hand and put them into yeah. a war situation their adrenaline goes and boom right so no, which it's, I it's think scary. follows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah well, and the same thing with mind. pilots as well, right? And it, yeah. this is and this is why um, when anyone gets diagnosed with myocarditis, um, <laughs> they even said like 
the uh, the recommendation was like for two weeks after getting the shot, like they say, hey, don't don't do anything stressful, don't do anything um, that exerts your body, like um, yeah, so the, because that's any, why you give it any chakra system, you can have that yeah. happen. That's why um, you give it to a special forces guy in the field, right? Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> that's, that's shocking that our own military wasn't even being careful with their own. What are they trying to do? Whose side are they on? Like, why are they trying to? Like, are they, they worried they're going to give the Taliban like COVID? Just like, yeah, like, right. What are we doing? Yeah. This yeah. doesn't make it makes sense. no sense. No. Okay, so what's uh, the current is... stage of that first lawsuit? The current stage, uh, we're expecting the statement of defense from the Crown next week. Um, I'll be replying to that within 10 days. Then we're file what's called an affidavit of documents. So that's a listing of all the evidence that I have. It's uh, <laughs> pages and pages and pages and pages um, to say tell the Crown what our case is, basically. Uh, and then they will serve me with theirs. And from there, we ask each other which of the documents we want. Uh, if they want all 200,000 pages, they're going to need a truck. And mm -hmm. uh, people thought I was kidding when I said, I need, I need to borrow a lab to take the documents to the court. But uh, it's true. And then uh, we begin questioning, which or discovery, as it's known in some other parts of the law world. And uh, I have my first five people all lined up. I have General Eyre, who's the current Chief of Defense Staff and who actually brought in the directive. I then intend oh, so to question. You're calling first. Yeah, General Vance, okay. who was CDS, who said no to a mandate and then was uh, routed out on sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, wow. Admiral McDonald, who came in after Vance, I have his briefing note that says he, that it couldn't be done. He said no, and he was removed on allegations of sexual misconduct that were then proven not to exist. Uh, General Fortan is next. He was in charge of the public rollout, and he said no to a mandate, and he was charged with sexual allegations that he has since proven wrong in court. Wow. And after that is, is General Kudu. And General Kudu wrote the briefing note for General Eyre that said he couldn't do what he did, and he was uh, has sexual misconduct allegations that he is fighting. So not saying anything in particular, but I'm sure your your listeners can put together a timeline and go, hmm. hmm. Because a few weeks after acting Chief of Defense Staff Air brought in the mandate, he was promoted to full Chief of Defense Staff. So, where are you filed? Which court are you in Alberta? Are you federal? Where are you filed? Uh, it's federal court because I am suing the king, which is who you sue when you're suing the federal government. And uh, the place, I get to choose the place as the plaintiff's lawyer, and I've chosen Edmonton. They'll have to come okay, to cool. me. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. well, I'm glad that you're up in Edmonton because then maybe I'll come watch and hang out with some of it. Uh, when is yeah. when is things start to kick off? Are you gonna have some hearings coming up, or when thing or when are you expecting things to start to kick off? Uh, so far, the, no hearings set, uh, but questioning should start to happen either late this year or early into next year. So wow, so uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting because. All the plaintiffs have the right to be there when I do the questioning. So General Eyre will have to face hundreds of people that he, whose careers he destroyed and face them while I grill them under oath. Should be fun. Bring the popcorn. 
No kidding. You sound ready. Now, is it, you keep saying we. So how many people are on your team? Like, do you have a team or are you doing the Royal Way where just you take care of everything? Uh, no, no. I have a team of people. Um, I have uh, paid staff. I also have volunteers who uh, help me. Uh, I'm sure people wonder how uh, a law firm with a small law firm out of St. Albert could do this sort of work. And it's because of my plaintiffs. Basically, we established what's called a fire team. And uh, yeah, we've been all working together as one. I've got a couple of battalions behind me, Jason. All no, working my. with me. <laughs> uh, is Tom Morazzo working with you on this? He is. Yes, he works Aha. with the legal. There we go. I made all the connections because I was speaking to Tom about that not too long ago. And he was telling me how he's working at an Edmonton with a paralegal. He's doing some work there in small world there. Catherine, holy yep. smokes. Nice to meet you. Uh, and, and if you need any help, I, I'm also previously a paralegal in Ontario. Not licensed anymore, uh, but I didn't yep. lose the education. So I still have all that. In oh, my head there you, there you I may use you. <laughs> There's 500 and some new affidavits to write. <laughs> Oh, wow. Have you considered any AI? Are you doing any of that to help you with this? Uh, well, because we've already done 330, we have it pretty templated uh, for some of the parts of it. And uh, yeah, and I've also brought on um, another veteran who was a paralegal and actually has a law degree from California. So he's very handy. Uh, he's <laughs> already started writing affidavits. I also have a a woman who was is married to a veteran who was pushed out by the mandate. She was a clerk for a Supreme Court justice in Nova Scotia, so she's working with me too. So, as I said, it's uh, you give nothing like uh, giving a bunch of uh, members of the forces that are undermanned and undergunned, give them tasks to do, and they're on it. So, <laughs> it, it, it sounds <laughs> it's, like Alberta's. Yeah, it sounds like Alberta's got energy and litigation as our top two exports now, because uh, there's a lot right. going on here in Alberta when it comes to this kind of thing. You familiar yeah, with the Keith Kerry Wilson's, Sakamoto as well? Yeah, um, and Keith Wilson's office is four blocks from mine. Oh, cool. So, yeah. yeah. I, I owe him a dinner, so uh, maybe I'll come hang out <laughs> with you and then go take him out, out for dinner. Keith is a great there guy. You go. Now, now, are you assisting at all with Eva Chipowicz with um, the Kerry Sakamoto stuff? Is there any work that can be shared there uh not so far enough it's not so far um i have there's only a small community of us of lawyers in the country that we're willing to touch this and uh, mm -hmm. we do try to work together uh whenever we can uh, sharing resources like i went to the covid litigation conference in atlanta in march and uh hooked up with hundreds of uh doctors and lawyers out of the u.s that are all uh questioning mandates etc so uh now i'm connecting my canadian colleagues that are doing this with that group uh so have you spoken to the network uh you spoken to uh daniel freiheit uh, uh viva fry's brother uh he runs uh lion advocacy he's been yeah, working, uh, yeah he the, follows me a lot on twitter <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, so, he's a great guy he's awesome i've talked to him a couple times um it kind of runs in their family, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. The are awesome. Yeah. yeah. And now, I've followed uh, uh, Viva, Viva for years since he was a small hmm. small yeah, YouTuber at that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, he hasn't, his his audience has grown, but he hasn't, you know. He's a, he's a short guy. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. super short, and even I'm taller than Viva by like two inches. So, like, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'm not short. very tall. So, <laughs> 
I'm I'm only about five one, so Viva probably has me beat. Um, yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, and now don't the underestimate second... us short ones. Yeah. No way. Great things come in small packages for sure. Now, I think it's amazing that there was a COVID litigation conference. Were you guys six feet apart? Did you wear masks at this conference? Of that. And do you know how refreshing it was to be in a room full of people who all didn't have to watch what they were saying? Oh, wow. Yeah. No YouTube streaming <laughs> yeah. from that room, I guarantee you. Nobody was streaming live yeah. from YouTube from that room. Yeah. I, I mean, I it was an amazing conference. I turned around at one cocktail party and Robert Malone was like right here over my shoulder. <laughs> Dr. Malone, so, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I'm still yeah. trying to get my hands on him. After I had Peter McCullough on, I'd like to get Malone on as well because um, mm -hmm. I'd like to finish the conversation. They both have some good information there. But yeah, it's got to be a little surreal to walk into a room and see a bunch of people who are not crazy. <laughs> and you know it yeah. and you can just talk <laughs> about everything. It must have been nice. Can yeah. you tell us a bit more about that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it was fantastic uh, to be in the room and be able to have these conversations and discuss legal strategies with each other and, and how we were approaching things and uh, still getting that feedback through the group the, that we created that shares uh, cases and information and experts and all of this kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of, I had an idea in my head and really didn't have any lawyers to talk it over with. So I was kind of doing my own thing, but to be in a room with all these lawyers and our American counterparts have 200 years on us for holding their government to account. Right. They're way ahead of us. And our laws are slightly different, but the tactics work and the basic law is still the same because we both are from the British common law system. And uh, so I started presenting to them that I wanted to bring this as a uh, abuse of power lawsuit because I knew I wouldn't get anywhere. I wouldn't even get in the door if I tried to question COVID-19 in our courts, right. even now, uh, despite some victories, you're still not ready. Um, and so I, I said to them, what do you think about this idea of, of, of bringing it as abuse of power with COVID-19 mandates as an example of that abuse of power? And so that's where I got the positive feedback of, yeah, yeah, you can do that. That's a good approach, you know. So that helped a great deal. The other part was um, as much as I knew from having been a nurse before, I was keeping track of the medical side of things, um, hearing it straight from Dr. Corey and and his uh, colleagues uh, about what they were what they saw what they were seeing uh, how they were getting around the licensing boards etc was eye opening to me um, and uh, I was grateful to be in the room and be able to hear all of this unfiltered because uh, as you are well aware Jason about social media wanting to control mm -hmm. what we heard and what we saw uh, it was nice to be able to speak to physician, physician, go up to physicians and ask them these questions, um, go up to uh, other lawyers, because <laughs> I'm sure you where lawyers and doctors have really good uh, dragons at the gate that can prevent <laughs> you from getting access to them, no matter how much they may want to talk to you in reality, yeah. they never even find out that you reached right. out. So this was a great chance for everybody for uh, three or four days. Uh, Robert Barnes was there as well to be able to just have conversations and hear people present their stories and what happened and, and their evidence of what they were finding. So 
yeah, no, it was great. It, it must have been like a speakeasy in the 30s or 20s or whatever, where once you get in <laughs> and, and then everybody's comfortable again and you can just do what you want and hang out and talk. Uh, Maybe it must yeah. be a really cool feeling. Now, was it surreal <laughs> leaving it, like going back to the world, the, the crazy world? And one of the first things you probably had to do was like the airport and they're still doing stuff like that. Like, did you have uh, to yeah. readjust on your way out? <laughs> I pretty much had to. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. We got to go back to that again. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, masks weren't a thing at that by March of this year. Uh, there were a few people wearing them. One thing I do have to tell you, though, is that I noticed on my flights to and from Atlanta, and also I did town halls with my clients at the end of May of this year within Canada from Halifax to Nanaimo, um, sitting in business class, because don't put me in coach, somebody will die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in, I'm sitting there, but every time just before the door closed, a third pilot would come in the door and go into the cockpit a third pilot and that and that Ooh, told me a lot because yeah, that, backup saying, to the backup. there were there were they're backing up and given how oh, what a mess the it. flights were in canada uh where i went through i don't know how many post uh, delayed and canceled flights because they didn't have enough people it's because they don't have enough pilots it's well, I'm a opinion. pilot. That's my, that's yeah. my take on it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm a small airplane pilot. And so I understand that one guy can take the entire plane down, no problem. So, and that's why you have two in case something does happen mm -hmm. to one of them. But to have a third, they're now getting worried. Uh, they're checking their odds. They're, they're, they're doing their math. And it's risky to have two now. That scares me. Mm -hmm. um, we had a pilot here, Greg Hill, in Canada. Mm -hmm. He's a bit of a whistleblower. He's letting us know that Transport Canada has lowered the the heart test all the way down to almost nothing you attest to it you don't even have to take yes, it anymore they have. Yeah, yeah so are they doing the same thing in the states on this uh i'm not sure on the states but i'm hearing it from our military pilots that want to become civilian pilots so yeah i knew yeah. about that yeah what sort of testing yeah. do they do on the pilots EK, ekg higher. testing okay and they're yeah they yeah. so yeah, pilots had a much higher uh, cardiac standard that they had to meet mm -hmm. uh, in yeah. order to keep their license, right? So they've now removed that. Yep. Yeah, just so you know, Chet, um, I think it's the age of 40 or maybe 45, one of the two. I'm over it now. But uh, every two years, I have to get my heart checked. Every two years, they got to hook me up or I don't get a medical. Mm -hmm. Now I could just say, okay. yeah, I feel good. But they used to check me. So, yeah, now I can just yeah. attest. I'm the EKG machine now. I, I know what my P yeah. value is. I know what my values are. I guess. Yeah. What do you think of that, Chet? Yeah. Yeah, I can I can assure you that there's lots of things that'll show up on EKG that you wouldn't know the difference. You wouldn't feel any different. But they right. uh, they certainly change things um, in terms of what your heart's doing. So. Yeah. One thing I did hear about from Greg Hill, um, Catherine, is in the states. The number used to be, I'm really bad at remembering the number. Let's just say it used to be two, okay? They used to measure something, and if it's within one or two, you're okay, but anything over two, no good. Uh, but they've now moved it to three, so they made it 50% higher because too many people were failing now at the two mark, so they moved it to three. That That's a sing signal. That, that should be an indicator that there's something wrong here, but... They're changing the test for pilots. And in Canada, they're even dropping it to the point where they're not even looking. Um, mm -hmm. Scary stuff. Very scary Well, back stuff. in 21, there was a U.S. Air Force base where the surgeon, uh, the base surgeon, 
grounded all the pilots because they were dropping dead in the sky. So she wasn't allowing anyone to fly. She grounded the fleet at that base. And that was back in 21. So they can't say they didn't know. No, not. no kidding. No yeah, I'm just <laughs> no, I'm, I'm shaking my head in disbelief here because they're changing some of the um, like the normal values for blood work too. Because I know, because uh, I talked about my blood work the other day, um, where my LDH was elevated like like four or five times higher than it was supposed to be and going up. But it's it, it's be it's supposed to be like one twenty to two forty, and it was in like the five six hundreds. But that's that on the blood work is being tagged as normal. But like I have like textbooks and like old resources from like school and stuff say that say otherwise. Like no, this is, the normal value is this, but they've they've adjusted it to like go up into like the five hundreds. Like, and that just happened recently. And like I've I've spoken to like um, a couple docs who have comments like yeah, like this kind of came down the pipe one day. Like our lab values. Um, like what's considered like in the normal threshold was increased. Uh, no explanation. Just there it is. <laughs> like, okay. Um, that's curious. This mm. Italy's curious. <laughs> yeah. You're using some interesting words here. Curious is right. Um, now, Catherine, with the second lawsuit, you mentioned it was, it might be a little bit different or you mes me mentioned mass tort, something you learned from Barnes himself. Right. So uh, mass tort is, uh, most people are assuming that we're doing a class action. And so mm -hmm. let me explain that a class action is where you have um, plaintiffs who represent a certain class. Like, for instance, uh, people who were released under 5F, which until a few years ago was a dishonorable release. It's now considered honorable, but there's big implications, unsuitable for military service. Then you might have people who voluntarily... <laughs> I use that word loosely, released in order to avoid the 5F. Uh, mm -hmm. Then you, another class might be people who took uh, one injection and were injured and refused the next one. Or another class might be someone that uh, did take the two or more and were injured, or even took some of them took the injections and still were punished uh, according to the directive. So those would be different classes of people. And anything that happened for a settlement or a judgment should we win uh, would then anyone who met that class could have a share of that settlement or judgment. That's what a class action is. Okay. A mass tort is a claim for damages that is only brought by the people named in the lawsuit. So the first lawsuit, 330 people, uh, whatever settlement or judgment we get, uh, they would then share that amongst the 330 people. No one else would have a claim to those proceeds. So uh, we're bringing both the abuse of power lawsuits as mass torts. And that was a deliberate decision by my clients. I gave them the option and uh, they said, no, they wanted to bring them as mass torts. So that, uh, because <laughs> they, they watched what happened with the uh, sexual assault class action that was brought right. against the Canadian Armed Forces. And there were lots of people who uh, handed around paperwork saying, hey, you want 5,000 bucks? Fill out this paperwork and say you saw too many naked men in the shower during your career and you've been harmed by that and get $5,000. So 
my clients decided that that was not what they wanted to happen. And so we filed as a mass tort, which is not a common thing in Canada. Uh, but that's what we're bringing. Okay. Okay. So is, is everybody has to be a plaintiff. Um, yes. And you don't have to be part of a class. So now no. are, are you going to have to argue each plaintiff or you can, like, I'm trying to understand this now. So how are you going to be able to bring all the different torts if they're slightly different between everybody? Or are they not slightly different? It's uh, just all abuse of power. It's all abuse of power. And each plaintiff is just more evidence. Each plaintiff's story is more evidence towards that abuse of power. Okay, so you don't have to like prove every single one of them. What, so what is the standard of proof for this one? Because you have the burden. And uh, what right. burden do you have to cross? Like, what kind of evidence do you have okay. to bring forward to be successful? So it's balance of probabilities. So more likely than not that the Canadian so Armed Forces, yeah, more likely than not the Canadian Armed Forces abused their authority. Uh, proving that it's an unlawful order is a big step forward there. The whole thing crumbles if it was an unlawful order from the beginning. Uh, in the claim as well, we have 31 claims in total, but also in the claim is uh, for charter breaches for uh, breaches of their charter rights. So it's kind of a combination of, of damages and uh, a charter claim as well. Um, Which charter rights are you talking about? We are talking about, uh, here, let me just see. I happen to have it open because I'm writing the next one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> we are claiming um, under 2A, uh, freedom of conscience. Uh, because we had, uh, <laughs> and religion, I, have, okay. I have chaplains that were 5F'd because they're, and denied accommodations because their belief wasn't sincere enough. I don't know how you get more sincere than uh, a chaplain you... in a uniform. <laughs> I don't even know how you measure that. Um, he had enough prayers that right. day. Like, how do you measure sincere? Uh, I don't know. I had, uh, he was Colonel Rutland. He's a Brigadier General now, but Colonel Rutland at the time here in Edmonton said, was doing, using things like on a balance of probabilities, your religion will not be uh, harmed in any way by these injections. What? what religion means. That's, yeah. that's gibberish. That's gibberish. Not only that, <laughs> but the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of Canada is pretty clear that it's, uh, your beliefs as well as religion. I mean, we had some people told, well, your religion won't excommunicate you if you take this. So therefore you have to take it. Um, no, that's not the standard. even in the cat, that's not the standard. And the, even the Catholic religion has said that the Pope, you do not have to follow what the Pope says as mm -hmm. part of your faith. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we've got two a, uh, well, we've got freedom of conscience, plus we've got freedom of religion and personal belief. Um, we also have uh, freedom of association under 2D of the Charter, uh, because they were so denied. 2A, uh, B, and D? Uh, just 2A, 2D. Okay, um, so you're not doing B, which was freedom of thought. No, we didn't try. Okay. We didn't, I didn't go there. Um, we also have Section 7, which I've already mentioned. Uh, section eight, uh, so um, right to privacy. Oh, the pri the privacy breaches are horrendous, horrendous. Like, I I actually have one of my paralegals used to work for the privacy commissioner, and even he can't believe um, 
I can tell you that uh, a thousand medical charts were allowed to be reviewed in order to produce vaccination cards here in Edmonton. People who had I'm no sorry. right to, to a thousand charts, medical charts. So it, they weren't allowed to look at vaccination records. They were able to see the entire medical chart. So they could, they would know, did this person have mental health issues? Did they have uh, sexually transmitted diseases? Was there erectile dysfunction? Like they knew all this stuff. They were allowed to see all that stuff. Like as a former nurse, I'm just like, <gasps> um, I've also, yeah, I've also recently found out that there was a website that anyone could access that revealed the vaccination status of anyone in the Canadian Armed Forces across the country. Wow. Like those are huge privacy privacy breaches. Um, yeah, and Section 15. Uh, rights to equality because they were uh, treated very differently. Um, the stories are quite something about what they did to their people. Okay. Uh, now, what are the so, remedies you're looking for on this? Uh, is it cash? Is it care? Is it service? Uh, it's the cash is there, but it's not the primary focus. The primary focus of is course. first of all is to send a no message to the Canadian Armed Forces that they are not untouchable. Because people were told, you can't sue the Canadian Armed Forces. You can't sue if you're in uniform, et cetera. So first of all, let's get that completely tossed out the window. You didn't lose your rights because you put on a uniform. You know, um, that that myth needs to be completely shattered. Um, a lot of guys so we believe want, that too. Yeah. They feel that um, as as they signed up that that, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, exactly. I'm looking at the charter and it says everyone has the following fundamental freedoms. So yeah. we all fall under everyone. Exactly. Well, and the example I use is that if the, a soldier is charged with a criminal charge, he still has all his rights. He has the right mm -hmm. to, to stay silent. He has a right to counsel. All those rights still come into it. So it's not just for criminal stuff, it's for everything. You still have your rights. You didn't sign that For away sure. by putting on a uniform and that message needs to be got out. Um, we, so I can kind of tell you, we're looking for a declaration that they uh, caused harm and breached public trust. Uh, they issued an unlawful order in violation of established law and constitutional rights. Uh, they are liable uh, for damages caused by intentional commission of unlawful acts or an omission of a lawful duty resulting in harm. Uh, they're being prohibited from issuing subsequent orders or directives that are similar or identical in nature uh, against people who are not vaccinated, uh, that their release items are changed to a much more favorable one. Uh, at the beginning of this, people were saying they wanted to be allowed to come back and serve. That's completely changed in the last couple of years. They're like, no, I just want my release category changed. Um, we want the chief of defense staff uh, removed from being the final authority in the current grievance system because All I right, want the so court to answer that question. I uh, move it. My clients have proposed, it's not in the statement of claim because the court can't do this. But when I testified at the National Citizens Inquiry, the solution that my clients came up with was to install what's called an inspector general. They had this in the United States, and that is uh, someone who actually has teeth to enforce things 
And then the grievance system, grievance, instead of this whole grievance system where you have to get it past your chain of command for it to move anywhere, it would, everything would be filed to this inspector general who is separated from the, the chain of command okay. and has the authority to deal with it. I think that is a much more effective system. It also puts timelines in so that we don't have grievances sitting there for 10 years. The ombudsman has no, no authority there. They, and they were completely useless in all of this. Uh, so we are seeking general damages of a million dollars per plaintiff. Oh, wow. Uh, we are also seeking damages of $350,000 for each plaintiff for the failure to follow the National Defense Act uh, and abide by administrative policies of the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, we're seeking damages for inducing a breach of compact that the members have with His Majesty the King. Keep in mind when you are sworn into the military, you don't swear an oath to the government of Canada. You don't swear an oath king. to the Prime Minister of Canada. You swear an oath to the King, just as I do as an officer of the court. And the reason for that is that the King has the authority to uh, stop our government using the military if necessary. That goes back to the Civil War in England. Um, and also, as officers of the court, we are to be independent of the government in order to hold the government to account. So people often forget that in Canada, that our commander-in-chief is not the prime minister. Our commander-in-chief's the king or the governor general mm -hmm. acting on his behalf. So uh, that there's also uh, special damages for future and anticipated income loss, pension loss, medical expenses. Um, and then we've also asked for punitive damages as punishment for what they did. And then, of course, all the charter damages. So it's so a you're, long you're like statement a, of claim. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm doing quick math in my head. You're getting close to a billion, if not over a billion. I don't know the special ones or the future yeah. ones, but you're getting close to a billion right. there. You're like at 500 million with just the first two. Or a billion. Right. No, five, five, yeah, 500 million. Yeah. 500 million. Yeah. If all 500 people uh, follow through on the second one, and we're looking at around 800, so 800 plaintiffs, we're looking probably about 1.25 billion. Um, keep in mind that the first 330 people, we've done the math, and Canada lost over $3 billion in training and expertise from those 330 people alone. Oh, wow. So that's from the skills not being well, good and, and leaving altogether. Right. I mean, pilots are expensive to train. Special forces are expensive to train. You know, these... And they take a long time. They got hit hard. Yeah. Years. Yeah. Wow, and we've we've lost all that expertise. A lot of the combat veterans from Afghanistan are now wiped out. The, the biggest, you know, the biggest rank was the master corporals and sergeants, and even into the warrants. Those are the people who train new recruits. So even if we could get new recruits, they've wiped out the people that can train them, because uh, generals and admirals don't train new new recruits. That's left to the the NCOs, and you're. They've wiped them out, the ones that have any like experience. Mm -hmm. So, well, that's incredible. Yeah. Now, you're familiar with the lawsuit that was just one, like there was another class action or something else. Can you do you know anything about that one? Uh, which one? Because I've got uh, lots of them coming across my desk. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a military one. It's based on what they were giving them before for malaria or something like that, the malaria injections. Oh. The, the mefloquine. mefloquine yeah 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 can you talk I about had, that one I had, 
yeah, I can I can talk a little bit about it. Uh, I hadn't heard that they'd actually won it. Um, I know that there were some glitches with the first class action. Uh, the law firm never filed anything and kind of dropped it, but I heard it got picked back up again. But that was about all I'd heard about progress in the courts or settling. Uh, Mefiquin, I have uh, personal friends who had experience with Mefiquin when it came out. Uh, airborne regiment that was eventually disbanded for alleged bad behavior. They were on the plane to Somalia and they were handed these pills and told to take them. That's all. They, they weren't told what they were for. They weren't told side effects. They weren't allowed to refuse. And only now do we know that those pills had never been tested on human subjects before and they were the human subjects. Yeah, and we all that. know, we all know what happened in Somalia uh, and how badly things went. Well, these guys were experimental. Uh, Afghanistan stories, uh, Crazy Tuesdays, where nobody went on patrol. They had to sit in their tents because they were not stable enough to go out. People were sit on their bunks and and uh, pet their guns like they were an, pet animal, you know, their pet animal at home. Um, yeah. It's and the brain damage it is done is unforgivable. And you know what? To me, this is what makes what they did with the COVID thing even worse because mm -hmm. they already knew what they'd done with mandatory crap. They still <laughs> use Mepliquin. it. They turn, yeah, they still use it, but then they turned around and used the exact same thing uh, for the COVID 19 vaccinations. It's another experimental drug. I mean, there's policy in the Canadian Armed Forces that says you cannot give any vaccine of any kind to a pregnant woman. And pregnant women, I had a woman that was had been given one injection. She developed blood clots. She was on her last day before she went on maternity leave, a week away from her C-section. And they were trying to force her to get her second shot before she left for the day. Blood clots can kill a woman who's pregnant. Yeah. It's deadly. And she's, she's on the phone with me in tears. Like, she's like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, keep talking to me. Can you find somewhere to be for a few hours till you're, till you're done? Um, you know, the, the chain of command who thought that they were suddenly medical experts on everything is, was unbelievable. Um, I had pregnant women that were put into the hospital by their obstetricians that were threatened with the charge of AWOL because, well, you're just, you're just in the hospital because you're trying to avoid the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, no, her specialist put her in there for complications. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it was uh, really something. And so the Mefloquine one, I do think they need to hold to account because they've proven the damage to the brain and, and issues these guys are having and they're not getting better with age they get worse with age uh, i'd be happy to see that one resolved alex cabana can comment more on that because he's part of it like it's like he's said this publicly so i don't imagine he minds me saying that he said it on his own podcast but um he got methylquin in afghanistan and that's his his issues arise from that he could uh, he could he could tell you more about it I'm sure the next time you speak with him, um, Jeremy McKenzie uh, was given methylcon as well and uh, has talked about his issues. Um, 
but and to go to your other thing about pregnancy, like in my line of work and anywhere in healthcare and your previous line of work is uh, we don't give pregnant women anything unless we absolutely need to, like unless it's like an, an required intervention. Um, we like we wouldn't give you Flintstone vitamins, like like it's 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 as hands off as you possibly can until you need to go hands on, and they're okay with it. Like it's the like like I've I've done like like uh, flu vaccine clinics through work years ago, and one of the hard rules is you don't vaccinate pregnant women because their immune system's already doing wonky things because it's it's powering down in ways to protect the baby so the, the mother's immune system doesn't kill it. And you're trying mm -hmm. and you're telling it to become hyperactive and stuff. It's none of that is good. Um, they're in a their immune system, which is fluctuating like crazy because they've got a, another little person inside them that they're trying to have their immune system, not eat. Um, mm -hmm. And you just, you just don't mess with that. Like it's, it's unbelievable, man. Like, and what you know for what's happened to some women, like with in terms of like menstrual issues, like I know people personally who had it's very, very severe menstrual issues with like, um, like menstrual bleeding that, that they went to the hospital for and stuff. Um, if that happens to somebody who isn't pregnant, imagine what it's doing to their hormones and whatnot and what their immune system is doing when you vaccinate them with this, like, especially with this COVID vaccine and what that can cause. And it's, that's why you see miscarriages and all this. It's it's egregious. It's beyond unethical. It's 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 we've never done this ever. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> now, um, it, is there any way we can help? Is there any way? Do you need anything? Do you need? to raise funds do you need to reach a message out to people are you calling for more people to come forward is there any way we can help uh well kind of all three i definitely would like people who have served in the armed forces uh, and have vaccine injuries to come forward because uh, we are building that case even as i'm writing this one i'm building the next one uh, and i do need to hear from those people um we do do this as a non-profit as i said and we do it all by donation. So donations are always welcome. And uh, it's ValorLegalActionCenter.org on the website. There is uh, an ability to give donations. Uh, we were shut down by PayPal and Square uh, really? within a few months. Oh, yeah. So uh, I kind of, I, well, I'm an out-of-the-box thinker. So I am using a payment processor that is specifically for lawyers to use with their clients. And uh, they had no problem because I presented it as a, a law thing. So that's how we were getting around some of that uh, restriction. Uh, and, uh, and anyone who has any information, I even if you've heard of uh, someone who was serving and had an unexpected death, I'd like to hear from those people as well. Um, because the people may not realize that their estates can act for them and right. uh, maybe get them some justice that way. Um, so we've got experience and we're completely understanding. And we also know how to get our hands on the, the records that uh, the Canadian Armed Forces doesn't like to give us those records, but we're, we're figuring out how to get them to uh, 
have more studies done and put the connection in. Well, I liked how you guys did your own little discovery there where all your clients were bringing <laughs> stuff in. That was amazing. <laughs> I like that. And also like your <laughs> grievance uh, strategy as well. You're probably flanking them and you got everybody coming in with the grievances. That was, that was amazing. Yeah. Is there now, is that called the Christensen uh, strategy or something like that? Is there a name for that? <laughs> it, it, it could be. Uh, the biggest compliment I got from my clients was that you should be a general. And I, I laughed and said I would get, I would never have got to the rank of general because I'd have got myself in trouble before I ever got there. <laughs> but yeah. uh, basically, we, we were in rerunning it as a military operation. And it's uh, so far been working really, really well. I mean, even when we filed the statement of claim, we should have had an answer from the Crown uh, within 30 days there's a in the rules there's a 10-day extension so really by about the end of uh july we should have had an answer and the crown has done some stuff to try and push a delay so now we're looking at the 12th of september and i heard from the crown today they, they're still completing their their defense i mean it's the 7th of september five days away and they haven't uh, and they've had three months and they're still working on putting that defense together that sounds like fun <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like maybe so, they didn't find one and they're still looking. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, because the Crown's favorite strategy whenever you file a claim uh, against the federal government is to send you a letter saying there's no merit to this claim. We're going to go after you for costs. Drop this immediately. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that on this one. Oh, okay. So, didn't think so it would we'll work see. then with you. I guess. I Probably not. Uh, I have, I've had a little experience with the chief counsel out here in Edmonton. <laughs> On previous cases and other cases that we have going on, uh, 50-50. Sure. We'll take <laughs> so, some wins you know. when you get them. Absolutely. I had someone tell me when I first uh, became a lawyer that you're not a true barrister until you've lost 50 cases. Now, I've done thousands of cases, so I've already already done that part. But uh, I have to tell you that, that litigation experience is paying off to uh, shift my focus to doing more of these armed forces lawsuits. Um, right now, I was on the phone a couple of days ago with an expert from the U.S. The US on uh, lead poisoning in the water uh, at the Canadian Air Forces Base. I have people who are uh, very ill from uh, lead in the pipes in the water uh, at CFB Edmonton. So that lawsuit is also in the works. Uh, oh I also have another, I have another, so anyone out there who uh, has served in the military and had their families in the PMQs and can have have lead associated symptoms or disease, please let me know because we're bringing a class action on that one. Uh, we also have one on hearing loss. Not only is the hearing protection defective, that's already been proven in court in Australia and the United States, but uh, I also have all the research that someone, a veteran did for me uh, that shows that if you've been exposed to jet fuel or diesel fuel, there is a chemical in it that damages your hearing. So it's not just the, all the noise. They've also got chemical damage to their hearing. And when I said that to one of the pilots, he looked stunned and he said, you're kidding me. And I said, no. He said, do you know when I fly from my base to another base, I'm not allowed to get out of the aircraft for any reason. So they hand the hose up to me and I refuse fuel my own aircraft and I get covered in jet fuel and then I fly home with my flight suit soaked in jet fuel 
And I'm like, what? guess what? You're part of the part of a law, another lawsuit <laughs> because wow. you've been exposed. And lots of guys who are in Afghanistan will tell you that diesel fuel, when they're refueling their vehicles out in the out in the field, the diesel fuel would splash back on them and everything and soak them. And then they get in the vehicle and work for the day covered in diesel fuel. My goodness, oh. my goodness. Now, I'm really <laughs> happy that you took the time to be with us today. And you must be really busy, not with just all these lawsuits, but I bet you CBC is waiting for you and CTV is waiting for you and Global <laughs> wants to sit down and talk to you, right? You have an entire oh. afternoon of this? Oh, the shortest interview I ever did was with CTV. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm happy to tell you just, you hello, my name is I Catherine. It... Just cuts off. <laughs> I actually thought it was absolutely hilarious. They used about 11 seconds of an 11 minute interview in the actual program because she was trying really, really hard to get me to say something that she could really use. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, at one point she looked at me and said, don't you think you're, you're encouraging conspiracy theorists by filing this lawsuit? And I looked at her and I said, well, no, because it's not about COVID. It's about abuse of power. End of interview. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> you did a mic drop you're done yeah abuse of power for sure <laughs> but look i'm not half joking but I'm, researchers hey, hey chet you would have liked to have seen her finish that interview with a milkshake right oh yeah <laughs> right right. with a milkshake yeah i should have had a milkshake for that one <laughs> yeah. that would have been great yeah nope abuse of power <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cheers with my milkshake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, it's uh, the course mainstream media doesn't want to touch this, except they do every once in a while. We'll put an article in the National Post about it. Um, usually, if I usually if the other uh, media, such as Epic Times and Western Standard, are big mm -hmm. supporters of us, uh, right. if they get something that's really good, then uh, National Post will sometimes publish. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the well, some coverage. good people. I've I've spoken to them a few times. They're 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 really good. Um, mm -hmm. Very, very concerned about what's happening, and they're trying trying to get the message out. Unlike everybody else. So. Yeah. Well, Noah Charte is a veteran, which helps. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. that's that's who I've spoken to. He's awesome. He's a great guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, now, and, are you working uh, with other groups like Veterans for Freedom and other groups like that to get the word yeah, out they, and to try and reach veterans? The Western chapter keeps trying to tell, tell me I'm their JAG. <laughs> JAG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I've been working with Veterans for Freedom for a while now. Great group of people. Um, and uh, so, yeah, happy to have happy to have that affiliation. Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, out here at my farm, we're setting up kind of a recreational retreat for veterans. So they have somewhere oh. they can just come out and do their thing. And it, it all started with uh, one of my uh, clients, uh, brain injury and PTSD from Afghanistan and didn't want to be around people, but wanted something to do. So he comes out and goes out into the forest and comes back and then chops up firewood for me for the winter and uh, doesn't phase anyone out here. and. He can curse and swear and do all the, the things that sol infantry soldiers will do. And uh, 
it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. So uh, we've got 160 acres here that's gone mainly back to forest. And uh, so, yeah, they're developing some recreational stuff out here for veterans to be able to come and have somewhere to be. So, well, be, yeah. ca be careful because we were talking to Drew this morning and anytime you build a place for veterans to hang out, it gets labeled as a compound uh, by census. <laughs> and, and I'm not, I'm not right. really joking about that one. I've no, seen that in action with the Coos men. So if you, have, yeah. if you have two vets and they seem to do anything that improves their lives, you're now a training center and you're an extremist. Yeah. Well, I, when we first launched the lawsuit, uh, there was on social media that we were the Canadian QAnon, uh, <laughs> which was some of my clients are from the PSYOPs, the Canadian Armed Forces. So when that happened, they burst out laughing and said, textbook, classic, right out of our textbook. We knew it was coming. So, <laughs> so I'm surprised yes, they didn't call you Zedanon. Zedanon. <laughs> yeah, Zedanon for the Canadian, and they got Zedanon down there. <laughs> Well, we have a, a standing joke in my office of, did anybody say hi to CFNIS today? Hi, CFNIS, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, are I, got you ever... I got lawsuits coming against them, too. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Go on. You, you got a few more minutes if you yeah. want to talk about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, one of the ones that's in, already been filed with the court is related to the Edmonton uh, soldier that tried to kill her kids. Okay. Uh, she's just been she was story. just con yeah she was just convicted in february of this year and sentenced to 10 years in prison uh in june for three counts of attempted murder and two counts of arson uh i understand she's appealing that i don't expect oh. her to be successful uh so this was back in 2000 down? she yeah she was in the, the pmqs uh it happened in 2015 she sedated the kids set the place on fire um, wow. but one of the kids managed to get call for help. And of course, being on a military base, they got three guys went in and got the kids out and the or the kids climbed out and they helped them down and then went in and got her out. Uh, CFNIS decided that, uh, they would close the case, even though she left a suicide note and all kinds of stuff. So the dad came to me in 2018. And we started our own investigation. We went to court and got her insurance fire report uh, because the insurance company, of course, couldn't give it to us because it was her insurance policy. So we went right. to court and, and got it. And uh, it revealed it was arson and it was her. And we just kept going and we were proceeding with a private prosecution. And the Crown decided to pick it up and CFNIS decided to reopen the file. So she was finally charged in 2019 four years only the dad's dedicated i am not giving up on this for my kids sake uh allowed it to get that far and then she finally went to trial and was convicted in february 2023 so we are suing the canadian armed forces for negligent investigation and for uh trying to smother this and keep it quiet and make it go away well it didn't no. go away <laughs> So. Congratulations mm -hmm. on that one. You, you found that cover up for sure. Now you mentioned private mm -hmm. prosecution. Why did you have to do that? Like the civil police wouldn't do anything. You have to bring a private prosecution. Right. right. So something that happens uh, involving military members on the base has to be investigated by the military police and the Canadian Forces National Investigation Service. So the RCMP have no jurisdiction at all uh, to go mm -hmm. to the base. 
so they closed the investigation. They put her suicide note in a separate file and they had this fire investigation in another file and they kept calling the kids suspects. They kept saying that the he was nine years old at the time. The oldest child started the fire and removed the smoke detectors from the ceiling. He wasn't tall of enough, course. even on a ladder, you know. So and then they closed it and then they wouldn't reopen it. So wow, I can't uh, believe she did that. Yeah. So we removed did some, the fire detector. Uh, oh yeah, and they were the thing is they had just replaced them a few weeks before with brand new ones. So, um, and it only had her fingerprints on them. But, yeah. uh, you know, so the only thing my team could come up with, once we had that fire report that showed it was definitely arson, in fact, the insurance claim, she signed paperwork to say that she wouldn't get an insurance claim because of deliberately starting the fire. Uh, we did our research and came up with, well, guess what? In Canada, you can bring a private prosecution and proceed uh, in the place of the Crown Prosecutor. So that's what we started to do, and that caught the attention of the... Uh, military police investigations, etc., and so they they reopened the file, and sure enough, just proceeded with charges that she was then convicted on. So okay, so they ended up doing charges because you started a private prosecution, or she was charged right. because of the private prosecution. No, they picked it up just as we were about to okay. bring the charges. Yep. So it so became like a separate school. Yeah. Right. Well, what right. they realized is we were going to proceed without the, with or without them. Now, and have you had experience with private prosecutions before, and have you been successful? I before? hadn't. I hadn't. Nope. Um, I had wow. a really key. I was working uh, a lot. I was doing a lot of family law at the time, uh, which I also did with this with this dad to get her from having any contact with the children. And uh, I had a really keen... Um, law student summer student with me he had been an officer in the military and uh he had done some criminal law stuff uh with another lawyer and he said i think we can bring a private prosecution here so way we went did our research and uh, put it together so i'm impressed yeah great things come in yeah. small packages for sure have you ever thought yeah. about being prime minister or premier <laughs> well, my clients and I joke that I need to be Minister of Defense so I can go in and fire everyone from the rank of Colonel up and yeah, start please. over. <laughs> oh, that Alberta fried chicken. The Colonel is taking care of everybody. Um, but have yeah. you really considered? Have you considered getting into office? Because even yeah, you're an impressive person, and I think you would do a lot of great things. Have you considered that? Uh, I have. I have been. Uh, asked how much i like ottawa <laughs> um so i, I then in high school I, I tease everybody in high school i said i wanted to be a politician and uh see that seems to have come back and haunted me that uh saying that in high school but uh it's it's there uh i would actually be more interested in setting up the inspector general office and getting it running because i think that Good would be idea. more effective then, uh, no, that would, that would be a national thing for sure. So how would you go about doing that? Uh, so basically taking the model from the United States and setting it up so that we have investigators and we have a legal team and yeah, so that anyone who has a concern in the Canadian Armed Forces, it comes to that inspector general, that neutral ground, and they can bring charges. In the States, they can charge the head of the military our, our chief of defense staff is the equivalent 
So in this case where he's done wrong, the inspector general could have brought charges against him. I like this. I like where you're headed with that. So that would be a parliament. Yeah. You'd have to go through the House of Commons to get that passed. It yeah, would be in addition to, to, would it be in another statute or, or would you modify the uh, the military one? I think it could be an amendment to the National Defense Act. To okay. be honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what Very I think cool. should. And, you know, part of my reason for uh, testifying at the National Citizens Inquiry, I had a couple of reasons for doing it. Uh, one was nobody could say anything who was in the military because they're prohibited from criticizing the military or the government. But I'm not in the chain of command, so I could be their voice. Um, and that's what I do when I do these interviews. I'm talking for the people who aren't allowed to say anything. And so that was my one reason. But the other reason was uh, I happened to be watching the uh, inquiry, the truckers inquiry, and Preston Manning came on and announced that he was going to be doing the National Citizens Inquiry. And I immediately caught on that that was the upper levels of the, the Conservative Party that are likely to form our next government. And you know how that whole thing about getting around the gatekeepers? That, okay, this is my way of putting what needs to happen on behalf of our military. This is my way of getting it to the higher-ups in the Conservatives. Uh, without having to try and find a way around the dragons at the gate. The dragons. So. Yeah. yeah. They're tough. <laughs> yeah. They got a lot of fire, those guys. Um, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> I do like that. I do like that. Now, on Alberta politics, let me just kind of shift a little mm -hmm. bit to Alberta. Yeah. You being a nurse, you being a lawyer, um, vaccine uh, mandates on the nurses and the doctors here, they lost their jobs. What did you think about that? I know you didn't get involved in it, but what did you think about mm -hmm. that being a nurse and a lawyer in Alberta? Oh, I was horrified by everything. The, I mean, the biggest thing that everyone in any medical-related field is informed consent. When I was an RN, if I had someone who came in for surgery and they had to sign their consent form, but they had to, to sign that, they had to understand what was going to happen and what could happen. And I would ask them, do you understand what the surgery is, what the complications are, et cetera? And if they said no, I'd call the surgeon out of the OR to explain it to him again. I wouldn't let them sign it, and I wouldn't let them go into the OR because I knew what informed consent meant. Right. And then when I was in law school, I studied, I did an independent legal research course on informed consent. So I, I was very clear on, on the law of it from doing that. Interestingly enough, guess who my professor was for that course? A former Supreme Manning. Court justice, no, former Supreme Court Justice Russell Brown, who just got a bunch of allegations against him and had to resign. That's their the motive, the, right? There. Yeah, Russell Brown, the, the man I know, he didn't do anything wrong. I've watched him in classrooms. I've had conversations with him uh, in his office very respectful man absolutely i don't believe any of the allegations or the story that came out of the united states there i don't believe it fantastic and i know his position on informed consent he did medical malpractice as a lawyer and all these cases from covid are going to start hitting the supreme court of canada right yeah Again, no, having his not saying but i'm saying <laughs> just yeah, put the timeline yeah. together uh but yeah so there's my 
my take on it is that we had no informed, there was no informed consent anywhere. None. Yeah, I, I had uh, Leighton Gray on, I think it was Monday of this week, and we were talking about exactly this. I said, look, I think the most important issue for the next few years is going to be informed consent. Uh, we need to clarify it and understand it completely because it was completely vitiated this entire three years. And if people understood what informed consent meant truly, and even if they mm -hmm. understood what the charter meant as well, a lot of this could have been stopped right at the needle point like where are you mm -hmm. going to get the actual needle because you have to provide informed consent and they have to give you the informed part of that informed consent mm -hmm. part of it yep. so you can give them the consent part of the informed consent um mm -hmm. so there's a push from you like you think that uh, we need to re-educate canadians on this and really push hard on informed consent and bring it to the forefront we, we absolutely do now i'll give you i'll give you an example of what informed consent should actually look like I had a total knee replacement a year ago and I not only had the surgeon well in advance go through everything, the positives, the negatives, everything that, that could happen during the surgery, et cetera. So I had that and then I signed a consent with him to book the surgery. Months go by, again, I get called with a week to go and I go for surgery. The day I arrive for my surgery, I have a nurse come up to me and she goes through everything again before I sign another informed consent. Do I actually understand it? Then I have the anesthetist come and talk to me who goes through everything and asks me if I am still willing to go through the surgery. I have the surgeon come into the pre-op area and ask me, are you sure you want to do this? You understand everything? You sure you want to do this? Yes. I get to the OR before I moved on to the operating table uh, to have the surgery. The surgeon comes in again and says, you're sure you want to do this? You understand everything? Yes. Then they proceeded with the surgery. That's informed consent. Right. So at any point in that, that whole process, I could ask questions and I could say no and everything stopped. That's informed consent. That's not what happened so with these injections. Yeah, you know, I mean, so I had to have uh, the vaccine in order to do a trial in October of 2021. So when all these members came to me, I was under the gun with the same thing, because if I didn't show up for that trial, I would have been disbarred. And I have hundreds of people depending on me. So I had it. I I wasn't even given the piece of paper with the possible side effects. But interestingly enough, when I went to get my vaccine record to go to that conference in Atlanta, I pulled it up. It was the first time I'd ever pulled it up. I never had any reason to. Um, I pulled it up and my lot number was unknown for both. And then when I got to the airport a month later, they pulled it up and my lot number was not applicable. So what did I get? I don't know, but I hope you're not classified as unknown at some point. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> yeah, you got the joke, but my, I'm sorry. But oh, my gosh. I, my clients tell me I'll be the best protected lawyer in Canada if, if things really go sideways. So, um, you know, I've got I've got the rec world record holding sniper on my side. <laughs> Alice. Yeah. 
careful Dallas, that, that, yes, that compound is starting to sound more real and real now. You're talking about snipers, <laughs> well, you're talking about vets. <laughs> well, a few years ago, I was sitting at a, a lunch before the COVID thing. I was sitting at a lunch at the garrison here in Edmonton. And uh, ne my seating next to me was the deputy commanding officer for service battalion. And I jokingly said to him, you know what? I need a tank. I said, every lawyer should have a tank on their front lawn. And he said, I've got 12. How many do you want? <laughs> and I laugh now because I, at the time I didn't have my farm. But if I'd had my farm, I probably would have taken one. <laughs> but I just think of how much, how hard they would be spinning if they thought that I had a tank and I have the people who know how to make it run, keep it running, and move it. <laughs> so that would be fun. No, that would be fun. And I'd come visit you too, for sure. Let's go hang out. You just don't get a goat on your farm and you'll be good. Yes, we all know that goat. goat gets involved. Yeah. Fill exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's when martial law drops, is when you get a goat on the farm. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I do joke about it, uh, but you know, um, negative uh, emails, uh, death threats. That's been part of my legal career all along. Uh, so I, it's just part of of what I do, and uh, I don't let it stop what I do, or have. I don't lose any sleep over it. So. Yeah, and, and informed consent is, is bothering me a bit because have you heard of the case of Lois, the sterile Indian here in Alberta? Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, if you listen to his story, um, right before the surgery, he said no, and they still put him under and continue with the surgery in Montreal. So mm -hmm. talking to you about your knee surgery, they asked you basically every single step. You were, it, it was kind of like an annoying, are you sure you want to delete message box? Like, are you sure? Are you right. sure? Are you sure? Like they <laughs> well, kept they coming made, up. You know? Yeah. And they made yeah, me write on they didn't my do that knee, with him. which one to use. And, yeah. I mean, part of it is, as I know how afraid the medical system is of lawyers. And mm. they knew I was a lawyer. Uh, but I'm not, that's kind of what I want to do to the Canadian Armed Forces, to be honest with you. I want their officers, before they give an order, to think, can I be sued for this? It's a big deterrent. Yeah, they might have the uh, Christensen consideration before they make a decision. They consider well, it because of Christensen. That would, I could, that would be a big win to me. It really, it really would. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Stop and think. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things that we just stopped doing, like having our own common sense as well. And, and informed mm -hmm. consent is one of them. The charter being abused is another one. Um, is there anything else you'd like to bring to Canada? Because we are going to wrap up here, but um, I want to make sure that people can help. So we're going to get your website address up on our, our staff so people can go ahead and do, donate. And you said if you're vaccine injured, reach out. Um, and is there any other way to help? Like, Are you looking for more people like Tom Marazzo to assist with uh, documents or anything like that? I'm always willing to hear from uh, paralegals or people who have any type of experience with uh, the legal system. We can certainly use lots of help there. Uh, as I said, we're about to start writing over 500 affidavits. So uh, well, let, me, that, let me ask you another. And, uh, plus the other cases. I've got other cases that need help as well, like the lead one, the hearing one, etc. Uh, do you think it's time for Alberta to consider having uh, licensed paralegals here, like just like Ontario has? Um, I don't know if they necessarily need to be licensed, to be honest with you. Um, I've got absolutely 
phenomenal paralegals and they didn't have any formal training before they came to work for me. And right, uh, right, but Ontario, but in Ontario, oh, their offices the, are the court, and, and right. they can actually go and, and practice uh, solo. They don't need to practice under a lawyer in Ontario. Right, um, that's what the license portion would be. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, Lawyers always do. Just so I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. always. Do. I mean, <laughs> I can I can see the value in it. I'm just a little bit concerned about that very thin line between doing that paralegal work and practicing law without a license. Because um, I already see it in some people calling themselves paralegals here in Alberta, where I'll get uh, letters and other documents from them, and I can see they've crossed the line. And not to be arrogant, because, you know, as a nurse, I knew that I did a lot of heavy lifting and the doctor got the credit. Uh, mm -hmm. but there are some things that I worry about people getting misleading advice, um, that has to be looked at. I'm not, I, for myself, I couldn't care less about losing business or whatever. I got more business. Busy. I got yeah, more business busy. than I can handle. Um, I know that that's often what lawyers bring up, but I also don't know any lawyers who aren't busy in Alberta. So that argument kind of falls flat for me, uh, because. Uh, but I have more of a business brain. If you're doing what people want, then you're not going to be worried about finding more clients. So, no, fair enough. Mm -hmm. And um, Tom Razzo, being your buddy, his book is now available. I was able to order it. It wasn't available yes. earlier today. It's now available now, so you can go ahead and get it ordered. Mm -hmm. And do order your yep, book I now, post... so we can get him to number one. <laughs> That's right. I posted it everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I just picked it up while we were chatting because I looked and it wasn't available this morning and now it's available. So I went ahead and got it. Uh, yeah, go get your Tom Razzle book. And it's a hardcover too. So that's pretty cool. Um, is there anything else you would like to let Canada know? Uh, so now we know you need a little bit more help, maybe some paralegal type minds. And do you care where they are? Because you're working with Tom from Ontario. So you don't seem to care where they are. I've got another paralegal that's uh, in BC and another paralegal who's in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> Very she cool. She retired there, Very so. Yeah, so the advantage of technology. Uh, I just think I would like to let Canadians know that they, they still have hope. I think that it, Canada is not as damaged as the country that I grew up in is right now. Um, and the ship is full of holes. I think we can still keep it afloat and I think we can change things. But it's going to take grassroots effort. People need to become more involved, become more aware, and be willing to... Uh, hold the government to account not be afraid of the government and certainly we need to be watching carefully because at cfb uh bagotteville uh they brought in a mask mandate their commanding officer brought in masks yesterday so uh i i think we need to uh stand up this time and say we're not doing any of this this time that's so the most powerful comply? message we can send I ordered I ordered okay. a do not comply uh, from uh, Veterans for Freedom. So if you want to do mm -hmm. not comply thing for your car, I'm going to put it over here on a set. Uh, go get it from Veterans for Freedom and uh, support them as well. Thank you very much, mm -hmm. Catherine. Uh, I thought it was amazing how you popped up and said, hey, look, I'm around. I can do an interview. <laughs> and I yeah. just had to reschedule. So something happened. That was pretty Perfect. cool. I like that. Yeah, great timing. Yeah, great time. And I hope you had a good time as well. And maybe we'll get you back in the future as your 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 cases move forward so we get some more updates. 
Okay. And I'll also reach out to you about maybe helping you a little bit. Um, I don't have a lot of time, but maybe I can help a little bit. So thank you, Catherine. I have and two Chet people that I'm going to send your way as well. I have quite a few uh, injured mm -hmm. members from the Canadian Air Force, and their stories are horrendous, what was done to them. Um, yeah. And it's, I don't want to, we won't end on a downer, so I'll, we'll keep those for another day. But, um, well, yeah. Yeah, the upper is you found some more people, so you're going to be able to help direct them mm -hmm. over to Catherine, and that's going to lead to more mm -hmm. people as well. Yeah, so we more... I tried to get them to to come forward at the NCI, um, but uh, the NCI couldn't guarantee their uh, that they would remain anonymous, so they declined at that time. They're trying; many of them are trying to exit the forces so that then they can finally say something. But right now, they they remain because a lot of them have children, and they need to. Main, ensure that there's funds there so that they can support their children um, and then once things line up then they can exit the forces and then they can uh, tell the world what happened yeah. okay. well I've got lots of people who are still serving that are plaintiffs but uh, well the more evidence we can collect the better people don't yeah. have to be a plaintiff they can just be a witness and uh, supply an affidavit as a witness so that they're not a named plaintiff and uh, that helps too. Are you making a call out to any whistleblowers or anybody with information that you don't have oh, yet? Maybe come forward. Uh, I'm absolutely open to that. I can tell you that on a regular basis, I receive uh, USBs in the mail. I receive USBs, people with their name <laughs> tapes taken off, sliding it across the desk at the front. Uh, <laughs> I probably know more about what's going on in the Canadian Armed Forces and the Chief of Defense Staff at this point. <laughs> He's got his well, bubble, but I've got I got feelers everywhere. I know what's going on everywhere. I should have crimson clearance, really. <laughs> oh, crimson! <laughs> so you're getting intelligence from everywhere. USB showing up. You got 160 acres of a farm. It's for vets. Yep. I'm telling you, we're going to hear about you soon. Uh, when the coots <laughs> men fall, they're going to be coming after you. Uh, we're going to be hearing about you. And CC, oh, they're going to make it mean something. I don't know. Um, yeah, they're pretty knows? crazy out there. <laughs> but thank you. You're one brave person. Uh, great I things think both of us be in trouble. <laughs> I think we're all in trouble. I don't think any of us yeah, are flying anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. No, they're going to give us bottled water if that's full of lead. That's what we're going to be getting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I've thank got you, the Catherine. Expert lined up. <laughs> Look at you. You're all ready to go. <laughs> uh, are there any other experts that you are looking to talk to? Have you talked like Maccus and McCullough and uh, Shoemaker or any of them? Uh, I have put out feelers. I am looking for, uh, I am looking for a physician willing to talk about the uh, symptoms of lead poisoning at this point. Uh, I do need someone to put that piece together for me from a medical point of view, but uh, yeah, no, we we're good. I even have an expert for the moral injury that happened with this whole thing. So, uh, what kind of expert for moral injury? Uh, psych so a psychologist with all the credentials um, and uh, to show, well, it's a big more, the people in the forces went through such a, a traumatic a moment where they knew it was an unlawful order and they had always been told that they could refuse an unlawful order and then they, it was still, they were still coerced and things, bad things were happening. And mm -hmm. the Canada that they, you know, they defend our charter, our rights and freedoms. That that's what they swore to protect Canada. Oh whoa! Oh. Yeah, no. Cesar said no more.
Uh, that wasn't our side, and that was abrupt. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, she was remote, but normally, I guess, I don't know. Well, Chet, I think we'll leave it at that. If she does pop back up in the next couple of minutes, we'll bring her back on. But that was awesome. I had no idea how much no, she's working on. Oh, here she is. Here we go. You're back. Cesar said enough for you. <laughs> can you hear us? I don't think she can hear us. Yeah, Catherine, can you hear us? No? You can't hear us? Okay, folks. Well, there we go. Cesar said no more. Uh, she's looking lovely. She's smiling, but she can't hear us and we can't hear her. Sorry. You you have a hearing expert, right? You have a hearing expert. We need him now. <laughs> but thank you, Chet, for being here. And thank you, Catherine, You're for welcome. being here. Yeah, lots of love. I'm going to try and sign to her. Bye. <laughs> you have yourself a good day and we'll talk soon. I'll call you. <laughs> I'll call you. So take care, Chet, and take care, Catherine.